Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. You can check out all of our courses, our community, and everything we do at onecommune.com. Now, if you're like me, you've spent years nervously shuffling into your annual checkup. You slink in, fill out some paperwork, and then undergo a battery of tests. You get cuffed and pricked without really knowing what these tests are. What are the markers your doctor's looking for? And what do those markers actually mean to your health and well-being? In short you feel undereducated and helpless. Well, on the show today, I speak with Dr. Mary Pardee, a functional medicine doctor and founder of Modern Med, a private practice in Los Angeles, California. Mary believes that you, the patient, should be the CEO of your own healthcare, that you should be calling the shots with your doctor and be fully empowered and educated about your own well-being. Mary believes in treating the entire body to getting at the root cause of disease and not just treating symptoms. She is a proud, self-proclaimed biohacker, regularly undergoing all sorts of self-monitoring, testing her own glucose levels, sleep patterns, and heart rate variability. And yes, we discuss fecal transplants. This is when a doctor transplants the poop of a healthy donor into another person to restore the balance of healthy bacteria in the gut. We recently collaborated with Mary on our commune course featuring Dr. Mark Hyman, Hacking Your Healthcare. This course is awesome and has gotten me to shed my nervous Woody Allen-like approach to my own healthcare. For more information on this course, go to onecommune.com. My name's Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. My name is Dr. Mary Party. I'm a functional medicine and naturopathic doctor. So I see patients and I really focus though on the root cause. So kind of a nerd when it comes to nutrition, all the new things going on in health, which there are tons of. And I specialize in functional gastroenterology. So looking at integrative therapies for stomach conditions as well as hormone balancing. God, I should come and see you. Yeah. Um, I have, that's my, that's my Achilles heel. Your weakness. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and many others. And I'm sure we, we can talk about intestinal permeability, um, mm-hmm. at some point, uh, maybe on this podcast or maybe after, mm-hmm. um, but give us a little bit, uh, more of a broader, uh, definition of functional medicine for those of us who, um, are not as aware of that term. Absolutely. So functional medicine is really the future of medicine. If we look at what's going on in the nation, about 75% of the U.S. healthcare spending dollars are going to preventable chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. And conventional medicine is amazing when it comes to certain things, right? You break your leg, you're going to the ER, they do it really well. Trauma. Traumas. Yeah. yeah. Um, for things that are chronic and for a prolonged period of time and preventable, conventional medicine's not the answer. It um, doesn't do a great job at that. And so that's where functional medicine comes in. 
we look for the root cause. We're doing lifestyle modifications, diet, exercise, all the things that we know that we need, but finding a way to apply them and really helping people. So, you know, if we look, one in two Americans has a chronic disease. That's incredible. One yeah. in four have multiple chronic diseases, and about 70% of the population is overweight. So when you say chronic disease, mostly diabetes... Yeah, di diabetes, hypertension, yeah. high cholesterol. Um, so in my field, integrative gastro, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, 20% of the population, about 15 to 20% has IBS. Hmm. That's unheard of. And also these are the things that people keep going back to the doctor for, right? You don't go in one time because you got a fracture or something and then you never see that person again. These are the conditions where you have to go back and back and that's where we're using all the healthcare spending dollars as well as really tying up um, what's going on in the healthcare field. So you're saying the allopathic, Western allopathic medicine really good at dealing with traumatic issues. Mm -hmm. um, but that we as individuals actually have a lot of control over our health, even though we are not conditioned to think that way. Is that a true statement? 100%. You're the CEO of your own health. And I think that this is really where we're going with functional medicine, too, and really trying to empower people to take control of their own health. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we talk about it in the Hacking Your Healthcare course, but what should you ask your doctor? And you really should be interviewing your doctor. It shouldn't just be that you get assigned a doctor by your insurance company, you go there and you check the box, but be involved in it. You know, ask the right questions. Are they ordering the right tests for you? Um, do you have to find another practitioner that's out of network and pay out of pocket if health is a priority for you? Um, there's there's so many options now, but it really is in the patient's hand. Right. So let's walk through like a, let's do some play, some role playing here. Mm -hmm. I'm the nervous Nelly patient, um, not a stretch. Um, I'm going in to see my, my primary care physician and, you know, before I actually see him and you know, I'm filling out a bunch of paperwork, then I go and, um, uh, and undergo a whole series of tests, right? Mm -hmm. What are these tests and why are they important? And I never really hear about them again. So why am I doing it? And what do I need to know when I'm doing that? Yeah, and this is really what sets apart conventional medicine from functional naturopathic medicine. Um, so when you go in, most likely thing is exactly what you said. You get the test. You might get a phone call. Hey, everything's normal, right? Like, yeah. quote, unquote, Whatever normal. normal is, yeah. And what normal means is you don't have a disease. But in functional medicine, we don't wait for somebody to have a disease process to do something. We're really looking at things with a much more narrow lens. So we're saying, okay, you don't have a disease, but are you in optimal health? And to do that, we have more narrow ranges for the actual values. These are our functional medicine lab ranges. So we want to see, for instance, HbA1c is a screening marker for diabetes. Right. So normal, you know, 5.7, 5.6. But in functional medicine, I want to see people at a 5.5 or lower. And that's because I don't want to have to diagnose somebody with prediabetes and then treat them for that. I'd rather wait. I would rather do something before we ever get there. Mm -hmm. um, we're also looking at markers that normal doctors won't even run until there's a d disease process in the works. So I do a fasting insulin on all my patients, and fasting insulin tells you way before HbA1c even or fasting blood sugar whether somebody's becoming resistant to insulin. Mm -hmm. 
And so we're, we're diving much deeper into the blood work. Um, but you want to, even if you're in the conventional model, you want to ask your doctor, hey, can you explain the, the lab work for me? Right. What's going on? And your doctor should be able to go through and see, like, a normal blood test is always going to include something like a CBC, right? A complete blood count. Every doctor is going to run that. And that has a lot of information on it. You know, it's not just normal. You don't have leukemia or something. There's a lot of information that you can get there. For instance, MCV, that's your mean corpuscular volume. That's how big are your red blood cells. And that tells us about your B vitamin status, B12 folate. Also tells us about iron status. So from just that one marker, you can get a good amount of information from it. Hmm. So what are, would you say, are the very essential battery of tests that one would, would that you would administer to me if I actually had the gumption to come to your office. Okay. My essential list is much longer than most <laughs> doctors' essential lists, so Fair I'll en- give that disclaimer. Fair enough. <laughs> That's okay. But your basic ones that almost every doctor is going to run are going to be your CBC, your complete bud- blood count, your complete metabolic panel, your CMP, that's looking at liver, kidney function. Um, I'm also going to run hormones. So I think every man and woman should know where their hormones are, even if they're not in menopause, even if they don't have erectile dysfunction. You know, you should know what your testosterone level is, and women need to know, you know, how is your estrogen progesterone. Um, So I'm always going to run sex hormones. I'm also going to run the fasting insulin, like I said. HbA1c is a really important one for diabetes screening. Um, I'm running things like a C-reactive protein to look at inflammation in the body, omega-3 to omega-6 status. That's never run by a conventional doctor, but I think it's really important. You want to make sure that your inflammatory pathways are in balance. Um, Full thyroid panel, so not just a TSH. TSH is the hormone that comes from your brain, tells your thyroid to make thyroid hormone. Um, But then from there, is your thyroid producing enough active thyroid hormones? So I run free T3, free T4. I'm looking at thyroid antibodies as well. And reverse T3, which we can see elevated in instances of stress. So I'm doing that full thyroid panel. I'm running some genetic markers like APOE. APOE looks at possible risk for Alzheimer's, but also tells us a lot about whether you do well with a high-fat diet, which is really trending right now. So I like to tell people, eh, this might not be good for you. Let's stay away from the high-fat and go more moderate. Um, I'm looking at advanced cardiac markers as well as a standard lipid panel. So your total cholesterol is one number, but you really want to know more. You want to know about how many particles are there. So I look at LDLP. How dense is your LDL, small density LDL you can measure? The other ones I'm going to look at are um, some cortisol measurements, which we do in saliva. I don't do that for everybody, though, but that's kind of where we get into the functional testing. So that's my basic panel. Um, For women, I'm always going to do a ferritin level to look at iron stores. And I think we hit all the other ones. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's a good battery of tests. Mm-hmm. I, I think I I can I might be able to <laughs> grapple with that. Okay. Um, now there's there's a lot of discussion these days in an in introduction of new products on the market mm-hmm. um, around self-administered testing. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. What what where is it useful, and where what can you learn from it, and where is it actually really necessary to come see you? 
Yeah. Um, and so I think it is wonderful that people have the option of just testing themselves, right? Especially when we look at places where they don't have access to functional medicine doctors. Um, so there's going to be some spots around the country that maybe there's not a ton of people around you. So in those instances, I say wonderful. The thing that I don't like about them, which I've seen, is that people are just doing them and they're treating themselves and they don't really know how to go about it or they get this love blood work back and they're like okay great now what right and they're not seeing anybody so there's this blood work that's been done there's some abnormal values and it's just kind of hanging out there um but i think that they do have value and we can use them accordingly but if you have something that you don't know what to do with then you should go bring it to somebody that does know what to do with it right i guess there's only so much analysis that you can treat or teach people because they're not Mm -hmm. trained doctors yeah um you actually are take some of the self-monitoring practices to the next (laughs) level. So I want to poke at those a little bit. Um, Maybe you could talk a little bit about your own personal monitoring um, experiences and your glucose monitoring and all that kind of stuff and and why you did it and what you learned. Yeah, I'm I'm like a health tech nerd. I really like all the gadgets. Um, I also like using things on myself before I tell somebody else to do them. So I think that that's important. So I've had the experience myself. Um, so the most recent one is the one you're talking about, which is the continuous glucose monitor, which is a CGM device. The one I used was Dexcom was the company. Um, and these are really designed for diabetics. So if you're going through insurance, you have to have diabetes to get it prescribed to you, but, um, off label, you can use it for anything you want. So that's the route I went and I don't have diabetes, but I inserted it. It goes on to the abdomen. Um, and it gives you a reading of glucose like every four minutes. So you can actually track your whole glucose cycle throughout the day. And so for me, the biggest things that I found were that, first of all, I react to caffeine. So -hmm. if I drank a bunch of coffee, my blood sugar would raise. Um, Yeah. And not everybody reacts to caffeine. It's based on genetics partly and then just the individual and kind of what you ate around the caffeine too. But I talked to one of the reps and she was saying, oh yeah, that's one of the most common things that people are surprised by. They're either responders to caffeine and it jacks up their blood sugar or they don't. And so it's one or the other, but you don't know until you test it. Um, The other one that was super interesting is oatmeal. You know, we say oatmeal is this like amazing health food. Um... Well, some people, if you're in the anti-grain camp, then you're no longer an oatmeal person. But I had a very small cup of oatmeal with about five berries on top, like really tiny. Yeah, very modest portions. And that raised my blood sugar more than ice cream did, almost more than caffeine did, um, more than any food that I ate throughout the week. Wow. Mm -hmm. So no more Quaker oats. Quaker's out for Damn, me. For and you. so there is an individual um, link to this, which is really, really interesting to me because it has to do with the microbiome. And the microbiome is mm. my baby. It's my favorite. Um, but it's because our microbiomes are going to secrete chemicals called metabolites that then go to the liver and can affect our blood sugar regulation. So blood sugar regulation really the center of it is kind of the liver. That's where we make blood sugar if we become low based on our diet. Um, and so we know now that the microbiome contents in our gut can affect how we respond to different foods. There's also been studies that show if you have a certain composition of microbes in your gut, you might harvest more energy. So that means that I could give the same amount of calories to one person that I gave to the next person, and one person would gain more weight than the other person. Yeah. Yeah. And um, are you a big proponent of of fermented foods and probiotics, probiotic-oriented foods and 
I'm a proponent, but they're not for everybody either. Yeah. So because I deal with people with such sensitive guts sometimes, I'm not suggesting them for everybody. So it really is based on the individual. And so that can kind of change. But um, for people that have like a robust gut and they don't have some issues, then maintaining it with fermented foods I think is wonderful. So um, so let's talk a little bit more about um, personal monitoring. Um, uh, I know that heart rate, heart rate variability is one of the keys to long life and longevity. I'm not exactly sure I understand why. <laughs> Just read that. Maybe you can un explain to me why that is. And then now you can actually monitor that. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So heart rate variability, HRV is the short name for it. And that is the beat to beat changes in your heart rate, right? So your heart goes lub-dub, lub-dub, lub-dub. And from one dub to the next lub, there's a millisecond amount of time. And we actually don't want that time between heart beats to be the same each time. So we want it to either contract or get bigger. And that shows us the flexibility in your heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. And we want a wide range of heart rate variability. We don't want a sh small one. And it reflects a really flexible central nervous system. So your ability to switch from parasympathetic your rest and digest, to sympathetic, your fight or flight. And so if you have a really good nervous system, you should be able to switch back and forth easily and respond to your environment. So heart rate variability gives us a measurement of that. It's a way for us to say, okay, yes, you have a high heart rate variability or no, you don't, and it's a reflection of your nervous system and your ability to deal with stressors in life. Mm -hmm. And if you have you done that? Yeah. Yeah? How are you doing on that front? pretty good i use um so heart math is one of my favorite companies they've done a lot of the research in hrv as well and so i use their inner balance device and i'm not sponsored by them but um yeah. i really like their device just because it's really easy to use it gives you direct feedback you basically log in for a biofeedback session and you not only get heart rate variability information but heart coherence which is your heart rate over time and should look like a nice sine wave pattern and when you get into a state of anger or a negative emotion, what we see is spikes in your heart coherence, like very erratic. And when you're in a place of gratitude and happiness and positive emotions, that heart coherence starts to normalize into that sine wave-like pattern that looks kind of like ocean waves. Hmm. So it's kind of like a meditation, but you're getting immediate feedback from it, which I love. seem to integrate, I guess, mental and psychological health with physiological health, um, mind-body um, connection, um, and you're a meditator. Mm -hmm. So explain to me how you think of that connection. We can't ignore that connection. You know, the fact that not every doctor looks at that connection, I think, is kind of crazy at this day and age. Um, I believe that the brain really controls a lot of our health, and that includes our thoughts and emotions, right? Um, so we can't separate those out from our physical health because we know that everything that we're thinking, all of our beliefs, thoughts, emotions are going to affect the internal organ systems. And that's the thing with functional medicine is we don't look at one organ system. Like I'm not going to just look at your gut. I'm going to say, okay, maybe cortisol is affecting your gut or maybe your sex hormones are affecting your gut. 
Um, so we really have to look at everything as one unit and in doing so that includes your, your brain and meditation is one of the best ways to get people into a parasympathetic state. And as a gut health expert, parasympathetic state is where digestion occurs. So if I have somebody that has reflux, constipation, that tells me the digestive system is not working properly. Things are not moving through it, literally. Like you're not going to the bathroom and food's coming up and not going down. So one of my key things that I'm looking at is how do we put this person into a parasympathetic state more often? And that's things like meditation, heart rate variability training, walking, like mm-hmm. really simple things. There's a lot of very interesting conversation happening um, currently uh, around longevity, essentially being able to physically and cognitively uh, thrive into your centenarian or even even longer. Um, and I, I, I'm wondering, I mean, I, in that I've heard more and more that um, this notion of like inflammaging, that um, that essentially aging doesn't really exist on some level, that it's actually completely tied to living in chronic inflammation or some degree of inflammation. So maybe you could speak to, to that a little bit and just what you would outline, according to Dr. Mary Pardee, as the keys to longevity and thriving into later life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anti-aging, big field now. Mm -hmm. I love it. I also think aging is great, right, like in terms of wisdom. But um, I think that the foundations need to be in place. So sometimes I see people doing these extreme things and they're still not sleeping. They're still eating processed foods. Um, So I really start foundationally, and that is eight hours of sleep a night, quality sleep too. Sleep is more important than almost diet in my mind. Um, It's really at the top of the list there. Diet, whole foods, plant-based diet. So just eating a ton of vegetables. And I have like a food strategy guide that I give to all my clients, but it's basically just mostly eat vegetables, have a good amount of like a palm size of protein there, some good fats, and you don't have to get too crazy on diet. I think that if you're really just focusing on eating normal, real food, then you're in a good spot. Animal protein in Mary Purdy's life? There is animal protein in my life, but it's a small amount. My palm's not that big, you know? <laughs> no, it's a very so. lovely, <laughs> modest palm. Yeah, so, and I don't eat um, animal protein at every meal. Mm-hmm. So I really do think it's about moderation. Where else are you getting your daily proteins? Legumes. I'm not on the lectin bandwagon, so I eat chickpeas, I eat legumes. Um, organic non-GMO tofu is now back in my life, which it was out for a while. I don't eat like the pro, like a lot of the processed, um, meat alternatives, but yeah, just, you know, edamame. Yeah. Plant sources. So no impossible burgers. No, no. I like, if I'm going to eat meat, I want it like actual meat and not fake meat. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Sorry to cut you off. So other, other party sanctioned keys to longevity for sure um a little bit about what we talked today i would know what your tests look like you know your blood tests you know you want to make sure that insulin is good because that's not going to do well with aging if your insulin levels are high low testosterone you're not going to age very gracefully either so i would get to know your biochemistry Mm -hmm. um vitamin d yeah i didn't mention that that's an essential test yeah that's on my list that's what i'm here for Okay, thank you. Just to, <laughs> just to help you out. Yeah, I need it. Um, 
increase brain-derived neurotropic factors on my anti-aging list, and that can come from a variety of sources. You're going to have to repeat that. Yep. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor. BDNF is the short, which we'll use from now on, so I don't have to say that a million times. Um, BDNF is the basically growth factor that helps your brain create new neuronal connections. So we can't necessarily create new neurons in the brain, maybe, maybe not, um, but we know we can create new synapses, which is all that matters. So you want as many different roads to get to the same location in the brain because inevitably some of the roads are going to close at some time. Mm -hmm. And that's okay if we have multiple routes to get there backed up. Um, and so we know that degener degeneration of the brain is likely going to happen, but if we have all these different avenues, then it's not that big of a deal. And so BDNF is that chemical that helps you create those things. And we can create more BDNF in the brain by things like establishing a flow state, which I talked about, and that's really doing anything that gets your juices flowing. So it might be painting for somebody. It might be um, working on a business project, people that love their what they're doing for a living. It might be surfing. Um, exercise is an amazing way to increase BDNF, especially exercise that really requires some level of cognitive function. So whether it's balance, coordination, um, mm. I just started doing Taekwondo and part of the reason was brain health. You know, you have to figure out how to use all your limbs all of a sudden. You haven't done that since you played sports. So Interesting. So also we couldn't have a conversation um, without talking about fecal transplant. I'm sorry that but it's just part it was in the fine print mm -hmm. um, of my email that I sent you when I invited you over. Yes. Um, but it was at like a point oh 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 two font. <laughs> so you didn't really <laughs> probably read it. So we, we hear about this and you know, it's it's titillating to talk about because of course what your your mind is imagining is like you're taking someone else's poop and putting it inside of you. And uh, but why don't can you just demystify this for us sure. and why why is it important and what is your experience with it? Yes, so fecal microbiota transplantation (FMT) is the acronym for that one, um, and it's an amazing amazing therapy and you know it's got its laughs and things like that but it's really actually saving people it's life saving and what it's most known for is the treatment of c diff c difficile infections right what it i'll go what it actually is first and then i'll kind of talk about um so basically what fmt is is you're taking a donor's stool so you want to make sure that that donor is healthy there's donor banks now that screen the donor so you know that they don't have any infections. Um, you take that healthy person's stool and then you implant it either by capsule, so you can actually take it orally in a capsule, or more commonly by enema, which is rectally. And you're infusing that person's stool into the sick person's colon. And the idea is to re-inoculate the gut with a healthy microbiome. Right. So your microbiome's depleted. That's leading to all sorts of mm -hmm. illness. You're you're having trouble essentially reestablishing a plethora of healthy bacteria yourself. Mm -hmm. So one of the treat potential treatments for that is FMT, fecal FMT. transplants. Yeah. And so right now the 
the FDA has decided that it is putting the kibosh on some of it. And so right now you can only do FMT in office, like administered by a doctor, for the treatment of C. difficile. You can't treat IBD or IBS, and some of those were getting really great results when that was allowed. Um, so why is that? Why, why, why have they kiboshed it? I mean, that's... I think it has to do with politics. Um, they want to keep people safe, and there have been deaths from FMT, and the deaths mo mostly have been due to either uh, the specimen being infected, so it wasn't properly screened, wasn't screened at all, um, or the person being immunodeficient, that they didn't have the immune system to fight off very simple infections. So Got they're it. trying so to keep people safe. Um, and with, with the advent of these banks that you're talking about, um, it might probably safer. So let's just play this out. Let's say I wanted to try to do this and you could administer it. Mm -hmm. You would then go to like an ATM for, <laughs> or whatever, not, not that kind of bank, but you know what I mean? You would go, um, um, procure a, uh, a safe sample from a bank. Yeah. Ideally that's what would happen. Right now, you can only get banked stool if you have C. diff. So unfortunately for the people that have IBS, IBD, that are trying to treat themselves with FMT, um, you have to do it as like a DIY, do-it-yourself at home kind of thing. But you must make sure that your donor is healthy. So that needs to go through a whole screening process or else you are putting yourself at risk. Because there's things that we don't even know if they're going to get transmitted fecally. Um, but what's interesting is that it's super effective. Um, it's effective, the research I've seen for both IBD, especially ulcerative colitis, as well as, I mean, for C. diff, the FDA even realizes it's saving lives over vancomycin. So vanco is the standard of care treatment. Um, it eradicates C. diff in about 60 to 90% of cases, but then there's a 25% reoccurrence rate. Hmm. FMT, 90% are totally cured by FMT who have C. diff and only a 5.5% reoccurrence rate. So in my mind, I don't understand why FMT is not standard of care first line before the antibiotics because you're actually re-inoculating the gut with the stuff that you want instead of trying to strip it away of things that you don't. Right. Yeah. doesn't make much sense to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's your general um, viewpoint towards broad spectrum antibiotics? I mean... In general, I mean, I can, I'm not get, a fan. I can guess. Yeah, I'm but, not a yeah. fan of them, but they're, they're life-saving, right? Yeah. So if I have somebody that, for some reason, we can't do an FMT, I'm always going to, you know, there's a lot of things behind that. But if you can't do FMT, then, you know, Venko and all these big, heavy-hitter drugs can save your life. But they should only be used in the instances where you need them to save your life. Mm -hmm. So I don't like, you know, sinus infections. It's like most of them are viral, Right. Same with pharyngitis. You know, you rule out strep throat, maybe you have a viral pharyngitis, which is sore throat. Um, so if it's not bacterial, why are we giving an antibiotic? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Makes and sense. How, how, how long do you think it takes to sort of repopulate the gut um, with a plethora of healthy bacteria post-antibiotics? Yeah, I don't know if I know an exact answer for that, but what I do know is that there have been studies and your microbiome does bounce back after antibiotics. So some people will come to say, hey, I think I need FMT because um, I just took one round of antibiotics. I'm like, do you have any gut symptoms at all? They're like, no, I feel phenomenal. I'm like, mm, 
You probably don't. Um, it's when we have recurrent use, especially in the early years of life, that we see an issue. So people that have been on 15, 20 rounds of mm. antibiotics or they were put on doxycycline or minocycline for two years for acne. Yeah. Those are the people where, you know, maybe it did create a dysbiosis in the gut and mm. FMT might be able to help then. Um, and what, so for you, in closing, what are you, when you're looking at, society at large what's the big salient problem and what is this big solution yeah um i think that there needs to be a dramatic shift in our thinking about healthcare, and that's why you know i opened up saying that i think that functional medicine naturopathic medicine is really the future of healthcare when it comes to preventable chronic diseases. Um, so we, I think we really need to focus on that. And, you know, I was talking to a doctor the other day, and he was conventional medical doctor, very intelligent guy. And he said, you know, not many people, not many doctors want to focus on health like you do. Most want to practice medicine. And I thought to myself, that's so interesting that there's now a separation between promoting health and practicing medicine. Because I view them as the same, and I think that that's where we're going wrong, yeah. you know? Yeah, I don't get to, you know, I don't write a ton of prescriptions every day. I write some when I really need to. But I love the fact that I can, you know, I dropped a guy's HbA1c from 6.5 to a 5.6. And I mm. consider that practicing medicine or creating health. I don't care what you label it, but that's what we need to be doing as doctors. And so I really think that it just has to be this shift in thinking of not doing sick care, but really promoting wellness, optimization, and health care. So. Yeah, and I, I love the metaphor of functional medicine, honestly, of being of essentially getting to the root cause of the problem because I think you could take that and apply that to other fields, environmentalism. I mean, mm -hmm. we just had a conversation with Finney and Makepeace and we're talking yeah. about, um, about essentially how, how industrial farming has contributed greatly to global warming. Well, once you start to actually unpack and look at the root cause of the issue, then you can start to address it and create a more healthy symbiosis in the environment, and in this case, in the environment of your of your body. I love that. So let's make a bunch of metaphors so, together. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for coming to my office. Yeah, I feel you. more secure and more um, confident about coming to your office if you'd have me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you're interested in functional medicine, check out our commune course with Dr. Mark Hyman, Hacking Your Healthcare. In this course, you'll learn how to use your doctor like a functional medicine doctor, how to ask for the right test, how to analyze them and address your deficiencies. For more info, go to onecommune.com. You'll also get some extra bonus content with Dr. Mary. If you enjoyed today's show, subscribe to the commune podcast and leave us a review. My mom reads everyone. Shoot me an email anytime at jeffk at onecommune.com. I'm Jeff Krasno, and I'll see you next week. Yeah.